Seven saves from Dane St. Clair. Six road wins on the season for Minnesota United. And three big points as they come away with a big two-to-one win in Nashville. And look at this. I got a co-host tonight. It's amazing. Uh, I'm Jeremy Rushing, and alongside me, back from Washington D.C. Well, I say back from you're you're back in Missouri, right? You're not you're in yeah, back in back in Missouri, in Missouri. All right. Well, Eli Hoff from Soda Soccer is joining the post game show. Eli, how's it going? It's great, Jeremy. Uh, it, it's uh, it feels good to be back and, and focused on Minnesota United things. Um, spent a little time in the Twin Cities too, so I, I feel rejuvenated in uh, in my interest in Minnesota United, revalidated there, uh, and. A great game to get to sit down and watch and talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Did you uh, get into uh, DC United while you were over out east uh, with all the Wayne Rooney stuff going on? Yeah, I, I went to every DC United game I could. Um, unfortunately, um, <laughs> not the not the most fun franchise to watch. The the Taxi Fountas is is a gem of a player. Um, yeah, you know he's he's like Reynoso in, in that the second he gets on the ball, you know everybody kind of gets on the edge of their seat expecting something crazy to happen. Um, I, I'm sad I left before Christian Benteke made his debut. I think that's a really fun signing for them. Um, you know, we'll see what Wayne Rooney can do, but but he has his work cut out uh, for that franchise. I'll I'll say that much. Speaking of edge of your seat, Eli, before we get into our three things, I want to pick your brain on this. Suddenly, Minnesota United is the end-to-end excitement for 90-plus minutes uh, team, which... They have not really ever been in their MLS tenure. I mean, they were kind of forced into that in 2017 and 2018 because they didn't have a defense. But when this team has been successful in MLS, it has really been tightening up at the back, countering at the right time, winning 1-0, 2-1 type matches. Now suddenly they're they're going end-to-end with some of the, the better attacking fronts in MLS. What has been sort of the difference in the style of play? And does this style of play, in your opinion, suit this Minnesota United team? Yeah, I, I think, it, I don't know if it suits this team, but it's certainly indicative of this team. Um, because if, if you look at how in previous years, it, it feels like the defense has been the really solid part from a personnel standpoint. Um, that, you know, up until this year, there was a, a really solid stretch there where that back line was, you know, pretty consistently going to be Metinair, Boxall, you know, either Opara and then Debassi and Chase Gasper. And, and that really didn't change too much bar injuries or, or suspensions. Um, and so that led to a lot of consistency there. And then at that point in time, it was the attack that was going to have a lot of moving pieces of, you know, Reynoso became a fixture, but where was Robin Lud going to be playing that week? There was, you know, 15 and a half positions on the field where you could write him in. Uh, and so there was just less consistency there. Now I think this team is kind of in the opposite spot that, you know, the front four, is is pretty much nailed down for every game here at this point, and it's the back four now that has started seeing some changes in there, and, and we'll probably continue to see some some changes here. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of indicative that there's less stability on the defensive end, so there's just going to be more happening there, more for guys like Dane St. Clair to do, and the attack is is gelling and is creating more chances. Um, so you know, this team is great at creating chances both for themselves and for others, um, and you know. That's that's kind of the state of things. And so far, you know, it, it seems to be working. Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, six road wins on the year for Minnesota, easily a club record uh, as far as MLS is concerned. Um, this is a team that just continues to be on this great run of form where they're getting results. And, you know, it, it, it's nice to look at Minnesota United as a team where, man, if they if they get that home draw, that's seen as a disappointing result. They go on the road and 
lose a four, three barn burner. That's seen as a disappointing result. Like there, the, we were, we were just hoping for a point or two in, in May, you know, and this team was really not looking great. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're on a run where, you know, you've only lost once in nine matches now, um, you know, a handful of wins in that span. Um, it's really been a different Minnesota United team over these last, last couple months. And obviously the play of guys like Fragapane, Amaria, you know, Bongi coming along as well in the attack has obviously been a huge, huge difference maker in that. Um, also, before we get into our three things, want to let you know, if you want to drop a question or comment in the chat, please do so. I see a lot of people watching right now on the YouTube stream. So if you're in on YouTube, go ahead and leave that question or comment in the chat for us to read on the air and respond to. If you're watching on Twitter and you want to get involved in the conversation, you will have to go to our YouTube channel. So go to YouTube and just search Post Loons or Soda Soccer. And while you're on the YouTube stream, Go ahead and give us that thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel if you could. That would be awesome. Handful of comments to get to before we get into our three things, uh, Eli. First is from Dave Valensky. Hello from Norway. Dave, I got to let you know, you have you have commented on pretty much every Post Loons live stream. I had no idea you were from Norway. So that even makes it more, more impressive. It makes me more grateful that you were tuning in all the way from Norway. Uh, it says, couldn't watch the game here. Only able to game cast it. Looks like Dane St. Clair had a busy night. Yeah, to say the least. And we will get into that just a little bit. Uh, Dave Stevens, most important game in Minnesota United season was the MLS All-Star game. DSC got his mojo back. Uh, Adrian Heath said, you know, although it was only 30 minutes that Dane played in the All-Star game, he said in training this week, it was probably 30. It was 30 very important minutes for Dane. Obviously, goalkeeper can be a pretty mental position at times. Um, but... Eli, before we actually get into the nitty gritty of our three things, just give me high level what you saw from St. Clair tonight that maybe had been lacking in, say, the Colorado match or even back to the Portland match. Yeah, it looked like Dane St. Clair and his element, which his element is very much shot stopping. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's in, in a league like MLS, you see just kind of a standard level of shot stopping that anybody who plays goalkeeper can do, right? Like you're not going to last very long in that position if you can't stop shots. And where, where Dane St. Clair has stood out, is in that shot-stopping ability. I haven't looked at the stats recently, but he generally stands out in terms of that expected goals to actual goals differential uh, in that, you know, teams score less on Dane St. Clair than statistical models would expect them to, which means he's great at stopping goals and and robbing them. And we saw that tonight with Nashville. Um, At one point, you know, John Strong and uh, Stu Holden on the broadcast were saying uh, that Nashville had racked up over two expected goals. And of course, they only had one at that point, and they probably racked up even more as the game went. Uh, so, you know, that's that's what Dane St. Clair does. Like, that's why you have him. Um, that's why he's, you know, that's why he's a candidate for goalkeeper of the year. Um, you know, there's probably should be some buzz as far as MVP goes, uh, because, you know, when you look at a, a game like tonight, if Dane St. Clair even misses one of those seven saves, this is a draw, right? If he misses two of those, mm-hmm. it's probably a loss. Like, that's that's very, very valuable, very, very important. Um, and, and he just he looked comfortable with those saves, even the ones where it's yeah. full extension, just getting the palm to it. It it didn't look like he was panicked. There was one moment where uh, after a save, he pulled uh, Debassi aside and was giving him some you know some goalkeeper to center back words. But mm-hmm. that's a that's something important from Dane St Clair too, who still is you know he's a, he's a younger player. For him to have the confidence to make the save, pull one of his center backs aside and say, hey, you need to be doing this. You can't be doing this. Um, that that's a really really valuable trade as well as this team you know is working to to stage l together and and eyeing a playoff run now at this point 
Man, we have so many comments. We could we could throw the format out the window, guys. If you keep dropping the <laughs> questions and comments, we'll just keep responding to them. Uh, Justin Bergman says, if this run of form continues, we may be challenging Austin for number two. We do have at least one game left with them. I, I want to see this team leapfrog Dallas first. I'm I'm you know there's such a gap between second and third right now. Um, Austin obviously getting that huge comeback win uh, yesterday, uh, four four to three winner at home when they were down three one at half. Um, so they, they might be a team who's finding their groove, but had struggled recently. Uh, but you're still a point behind Dallas for that third spot. And I think um, that's that should be the target right now. Once you accomplish that goal of getting by Dallas, then maybe sort of you can maybe put Austin in the crosshairs. But I, I like the uh, I like the optimism. I like shooting high. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see us get past Dallas first. Um, in terms of the Western Conference, Eli, from you know what you see from Minnesota United versus what you see from the Dallas's, the Austins, the the Seattle's, even as as they're moving up, RSL is right there, right behind Minnesota as well. Where do you think this Minnesota team really does stack up in this tight Western Conference? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see that. Um, you know, obviously it's hard for anybody to stack up with LAFC right now. So I think yeah. in terms of playoff seating. The best playoff seed may not be a number. It may be distance in the bracket from LAFC. That may be the the deciding factor of where this team wants to be to put off facing them as long as possible. Uh, you know, I, I think Minnesota's a side that can hold up well. One of the the biggest things that we're going to see over the next eight weeks is depth. And, you know, what can guys, you know, now that there's um, more bodies in the midfield, right, with, with Jonathan Gonzalez, with Will Trapp eventually coming back here, you know, where does that put Robin Lloyd? Is he, you know, does Bonky come out of the lineup or does Robin Lloyd stay in the midfield? That's something, you know, for there to be a lot of debate and conversation about, I think. Um, and so I think that depth is important come playoff time. You know, this is a team that's that's faced injury issues all year. Um, you you want to be prepared for that come playoff time in terms of, you know, being able to, for Adrian Heath, there's a lot of talk about his substitutions, but you at least want him to have the possibility to come this, you know, 70, 75th minute to be able to make the changes he needs to either ice a game or go out and get a goal. And and having depth will be really important there. And that's something that that making these acquisitions in this summer window, I think Minnesota's done a great job setting themselves up for playing late into the fall here um, by by getting those guys who can contribute at at, at that time of year. Yeah, we've seen Alan Benitez's impact. Obviously, there's a lot, um, you know there's a lot of potential there with Mender Garcia or a lot of hype around Mender Garcia. Obviously using that Disney player spot on him. Then we saw Jonathan Gonzalez for about a 10 minute spell tonight. I'm not sure what we can grab from that, but I don't know if there was really ever going to be anything to grab from that initial 10 minutes for Jogo on the field. I think it was just sort of getting him acclimated and continuing to get him ingrained in what uh, Adrian Heath wants to do. And of course, um, to close out a game, you're going to put in a, a stalwart number six, like, uh, like jo- Jogo is, although he's not Ozzy Alonso. Uh, as they mentioned, or as they showed on the uh, on the broadcast graphic, uh, that was pretty interesting. They must still have it. They must not have updated number six on the Minnesota United roster or something. I don't know how that falls through the cracks. But uh, yeah, when uh, Jogo goes on the field, they put O Alonso on the uh, on the graphic there. Uh, interesting. Uh, speaking of defensive midfield, and speaking of you, you mentioned earlier, you know where does Robin Lud fit on this team? I think that's kind of been a reoccurring question. Um, Chris Alphaby asks, what happens when Trap comes back? You can't take Bongi out. And that's interesting because you look at 
this team has been thin at defensive midfield because of injuries and because of, uh, you know, red card accumulator, yellow card accumulation issues, injuries. You know, Ariaga has been able to consistently stay on the field. Trap's been out for about four weeks now. But Chris has a great point here where once Trap comes back and assuming Ariaga is healthy at the same time, all of a sudden now you, you are, you, you have a ton of central midfielders that you could throw in and a ton of different combinations that you can use. So that's interesting where you have, you know, your, your captain will trap. He could come back. Whose spot does he take? Cause you have to take somebody out of that, that pairing that you may not want to who, in your opinion, ends up being the odd man out here, Eli, because you, now you have Jonathan Gonzalez as well to factor into that situation too. I think in all honesty, the odd man out is, is will trap. Um, we, we've seen with Adrian Heath, I, th- I think a, a great situation is what happened with goalkeeper that, you know, Tyler Miller was the starter going into this season, you know, got sick before that New York Red Bulls game. That was what week, week three, I think. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's been Dane St. Clair ever since that I, I think Adrian Heath and, and I remember from just when I was, you know, there covering this team that he was always very adamant that, you know, players controlled whether or not they had a spot in the starting 11. Um, and, and, you know, he seems like the type of coach where once a player's earned that starting role, it's up to them to lose it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can look at anyone in the starting 11 and say they've they've lost their spot. I think, you know, Bongi's maybe the the most vulnerable just because he's a younger guy who's still kind of raw and developing. And, you know, Robin Lud can replace him. So, like, that's kind of probably if there's going to be a change, you know, you take Bongi out, move Laud up there and, and trap back in the midfield. That's probably the, the easiest way to do this. Uh, but I, I wouldn't necessarily expect that at all, I think given what Heath has done with his team in the past, even though, yes, Trap's the captain. They've been playing fantastic without him, and he's a great, like, having Will Trap come off the bench is fantastic. Again, you know, I just mm-hmm. talked about 75th minute, you need to ice the game, pull off, you know, a Fragapane, Reynoso, Bongi, whoever, an attacking midfielder, put on Trap and, and go 4-3-3 with an extra defensive midfielder, and, and that's, a, that's a great way to bunker down there. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a route that we could see this team go as well. Yeah, I think, Eli, you mentioned it. I think that's probably the direction it's going to go. As good as Bongi has been, and as much as Chris says that you can't take Bongi out, I probably, just knowing Heath, I think that's probably the direction he will go when Trap comes back, as I think he goes back to that Trap-Ariaga defensive midfield, and I think he probably moves the lid back to the right wing with Bongi playing a very, very featured sub role on this team. Whether it's right wing, whether it's... It's uh, coming in as a backup striker, a second striker if they need one, um, that sort of situation. But then you also factor in another uh, new signing, Mender Garcia, who can really play anywhere along the front. And the combinations are almost endless. This team is almost like embarrassingly deep at this point with these with these new guys factored in. It's it's kind of crazy to think about that. Depth has been such a talking point with this Minnesota United team. And it's been such a roller coaster in years where we're like, oh, we think we got it. We think they got it. And then they don't. Oh, we think they got it. And then they don't. And this season we're like, oh, they finally have the depth. But then in the middle of the season, you're like, oh, maybe they don't have the depth. Well, now all of a sudden with these summer transfer window signings, that depth is, is plentiful and it creates a lot of questions, but good questions for Adrian Heath. No. It, it it really does, and and I was just thinking now if we you know if we look way ahead and we look at next season, assigning Dotson coming back, all of a sudden there's there's a, a lot of guys on this team who you're starting to you know look at, how, you know you can only fit eleven players in the in the starting lineup, um, and and so I think there will be there will be questions surrounding that next year too, 
we're getting we're getting too far ahead there, but there there certainly is uh, a depth of plenty at the moment. The duo becomes a trio. Looks like we got MJ in the house. Matthew Johnson, what's going on, Matthew? Um, I'm just here in Wisconsin, and uh, okay, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being here, man. Uh, first, your just an initial thoughts on the uh, on the two to one win. I thought uh, Dane looked improved. I thought parts of our back line looked improved. There's still these nagging bad habits that irk me to, you know, out of my gourd, weak <laughs> side uh, ball watching, bad yeah. weak side marking. But at the same time, there's so much good happening defensively to get us this win. And, you know, on the front side, no possession, counterattack, make the most of our chances. Uh, and like you guys just said, with more attacking pieces coming, uh, some say that that could, like, put a wrench in a well-oiled machine. I don't think we have a well-oiled machine. I think more experimentation, more weapons are going to be better. Yeah, I think especially if you can get those pieces in and try to figure out those right combinations before you get to that playoff run, I think that's crucial. If you're if you're still tinkering in mid to late September, I think that maybe that's an issue. But if you can get these pieces in early, specifically Amender Garcia, if he can get his immigration paperwork finalized and done and you know be ready here in, in mid to late August, um, I'd really like to see where he specifically factors into this team in the short term. Because obviously being a young guy, 24 years old, he's in the long-term plans for Minnesota. But I'm intrigued to see where he fits in right off the bat, as you mentioned, MJ, with all these uh, attacking pieces and specifically attacking pieces that have proved themselves on the field so far this season. It'd be tough to just pull one of those out uh, in yeah. lieu of a, of a new new signing. If Strong Wanae can work his way into the starting lineup this season, uh, Mena Garcia has a chance. Eli, what are your, what are your thoughts on on Mender specifically and how he could affect the the attacking depth? Yeah, it's I mean I see uh, we have in the comments mentioned you know two two kind of groups of wingers. Uh, you know that's the approach I, I use in Football Manager anyway when it's you know a, a congested schedule just just full out replace them. Uh, but you know I, I think uh, that you know that that could be a route to go here. But I, I think what it does present is the question of how this team is going to figure out the best combinations because there are only eight games here, um, you know, which is plenty of time to figure this out before the playoffs. But those are eight games that can't be entirely experimental, right? Like results need to happen, especially if there's going to be a push to, you know, get past Dallas and maybe even try to catch up to Austin in second place here. Um, you know, it can only be experimental to a certain point. It needs to still be effective while that's happening. And so I, I think, you know, Mender Garcia, obviously on, on paper and, and in the highlights can contribute right away. Um, it, it comes down to how much he's trusted, you know, how much, how quickly that chemistry can develop. Um, you know, we've seen over the course of the season how how well Bonky's developed and how much this match time has meant that, you know, he he looks like a, a different player now than he did at the start of, of this season. And that's been tremendous to see. Um, and, and so you also hope that, that, you know, less match time doesn't cost him in any capacity over the, the next little bit of the season here. Um, but I, I think it, it comes down to how fast the best combination can be figured out by Heath here and, you know, how effective uh, the the maybe less optimal combinations can be as the squad gets rotated. Let's reel this back into the match specifically. So we talked about Dane's performance, obviously another featured performer, Franco Fragapane. 
getting uh yeah. getting another goal that's seven straight matches with a goal or an assist for Franco. Um, obviously he's somebody who has had his struggles uh this season, but as he's come into form, Eli, this team has really sort of hit its live stride. And, and we were we were talking match day one, Eli, after the Philadelphia match about how important Fragapani is to this team. After that, we saw the downswing that led to the team's downswing, but now he's clicking on all cylinders, and so is this Minnesota United attack. Yeah, I, I think it's it's absolutely zero coincidence that uh, you know, as this team has kind of resurged and rebounded, that Fragapani has done the exact same. You know, I don't know which way the the causation goes there or or what that relationship is, uh, but it, it's certainly he's he's played at the level that that we all know he can and that I think a lot of folks kind of expect him to, and that frankly, this team needs him to, um, you know, Reynoso had his struggles this year, uh, but you know, he's kind of a known quantity, right? It's a fantastic quantity, but you know what to expect from him is it's who's going to be the other guy who can force defenders to adjust. Um, and, and that's very much Fragapane, who's, you know, also a capable dribbler can, you know, make excellent passes in the box. He's got really great vision, um, to you know, pick his head up once he's dribbling inside there, um, and is obviously you know just fine putting a shot on frame as well. And so, yeah, I, I think him, you know, is this form sustainable? A goal or an assist every game? Probably not. But you know, this confidence that he's playing with, this level of contribution, that certainly is sustainable, um, and and probably needs to be, um, especially if if this attack is going to be kind of experimental going forward. I don't know how you say uh, challenge accepted in Portuguese, but uh, I think uh, I think Franco might be might be accepting that challenge, Eli. Uh, MJ, uh, Eli mentioned you know Franco's form kind of coming into Minnesota United's form and how that's really not a coincidence. I also think it's not a coincidence that Franco Fragapani and Luis Samaria them coming into form has led to a more in form uh, Emmanuel Reynoso uh, when he's able to have those pieces around him clicking on all cylinders. You know, obviously he is he is able to do more of of what he can, you know, what he's capable of. Uh MJ, can you talk? Are you able are I, you able to speak? Can you hear me now? Uh I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. So you were giving me the faces. You're acting like, oh, I don't know if I can hear you. So I just wanted to make sure that we're we're good. I just want to say that I wasn't the only one saying if our front four can get on the same page. And, of course, I thought our front four would be Fragapane, Lude, Amaria, and Reynoso. But considering what it is now, yes, uh, it's not just individuals, right? This is a team sport. Getting those attacking players on the same page, building chemistry. You're seeing now where Reynoso, Luis Amaria, and Fragapane are looking for each other. They're, they're looking for Hongwane. They're looking – for them to be certain spots and it's less work, right? It's that those passes aren't missing by much or Reynoso is looking that through ball up the center and Luis Amaria is more on the same page as Reynoso where you weren't seeing that earlier in the season. I also just want to add on the Fragapani thing. I never thought I'd say like, there's someone who's playing good defense, but tonight <laughs> playing some pretty good defense. And not only that, I never thought I'd say Lutz tracking back and playing good defense. Now he's in a different position, but Lude was actually – they were doing what uh, in other sports you call a bracket or uh, a two-person zone and where Fragapane usually was the more forward player. Lude usually was a back player, but sometimes they would invert. And they were like 
zone slash man marking pairs of players pretty well tonight, even late into the game, where on tired legs or just I'm an attacking player, it's not my job to go back. You would see not that sort of defensive effort. So that was nice to see. Yeah, it's interesting. You have three guys there on the left in Fragapane, Lud, and Kamar Lawrence, who, by the way they've played, they've shown they can really cover every inch of the pitch individually, right? Kamar Lawrence can get up in the attack and sending crosses. Robin Ludd, you know, playing defensive midfield can play back and be that be that big defensive midfield presence. Or obviously he can get forward and cause havoc in the in the attack as well. And now, as you mentioned, MJ, you you had Fragapane sort of assisting in defense and kickstarting counterattacks and and helping force turnovers. Um, that left-hand side has sort of been a bit of a crater for Minnesota United in years past, where they really haven't had nearly the same level of impact on the left as they had on the right. But now it's almost symmetrical in that way. And maybe even the left-hand side is maybe you could argue more dangerous than what they're able to bring on the right right now. Eli, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a legitimate case for that, right? Like, you know, for this Minnesota United team, as it was built, was always, you know, strong side, right side um, with Metonier there. But, you know, that's that's very quickly changed. Uh, what I think was actually interesting tonight specifically was that the strong side of Minnesota United's attack was the weak side, depending what side they were going after. Um, and, and part of that was Benitez. I wrote, I'm going to show to those who are watching, these are my game notes. Uh, the second thing I wrote down, it was in the third minute, I wrote, Benitez looks good going down the weak side. Yeah, he does. That ended up producing the the game-winning goal later on. So I'd, I'd like it to be known by everyone that I spotted that early. Um, but that that was that looks like a game plan thing that, you know, he's he's a guy who can who can push going down there. And I, I think that's something that translates well um, to, to any opponent, forcing their fullbacks to, you know, be watching the guy going off their shoulder. Uh, and so that that transcends right side, that transcends left side. It's it's strong side, weak side. Um, and and if Benitez or Kamar Lawrence or whoever it is is willing to pounce on that, that's a, a really great attacking setup. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'm going to get a, a script or a penmanship expert to come in there, Eli, and confirm that you actually wrote that in the third minute and didn't write it five minutes ago and then backdate it to the third minute. So uh, just <laughs> yeah, be aware of that. I'll make that appointment tomorrow. Uh, MJ, you, uh, you were raising your hand. Just want to piggyback on that. Very in previous years for Minnesota United, teams knew what we were going to do. We were going to attack up the right side because that's where Metonier was. That's where yep. Lude was. And we, like you guys said, we, we knew what we were going to do. Everyone else knew what we were going to do. And that made us easier for teams to defend against us. Uh, it is nice to see some variety and some breadth and Again, just trying to give opponents different looks. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It, it makes the attack so much more dynamic when you can attack on the flanks the way they have and have that have that overlapping ability be on both sides. And I think that's one of the biggest differences in this particular Minnesota United team. And I honestly think one of the biggest factors, I wrote this three or four weeks ago now, I think maybe after the DC match, about sort of the three biggest reasons why Minnesota had been able to turn it around, not just in getting results, but, you know, the goal scoring output. And I, I talked about Kamar Lawrence's overlapping on the left, actually providing some, some symmetry 
to their overlapping ability. Because you're right, MJ, it was always up the right-hand side. Chase Gasper, God love him, great defender. He was never overlapping up the left. That was never happening, right? So you have a guy like Moore Lawrence who's constantly getting into the attacking third and sending in crosses. You have Alan Benitez or, or DJ Taylor, whichever one's playing on the right, able to get in. Shit, we've seen them both connect. We've seen them connect on goals in the Vancouver right. match, right? So it's just it's provided that that different dynamic to this team. And when you talk about taking pressure off of guys like Reynoso, I think adding two more attacking players who are actually defenders into that mix just just helps that exponentially increase. Yeah, well, I mean, Heath likes two way players, especially at, at fullback, and and the two center midfielders. He likes those players to be two way players. Uh, what we've had problems in the past is too many of those two-way players are all up in attack and not enough are, are sharing on the defensive role. So what I'm looking forward to in these next few games is to see, can we get more consistency on who's going to go up? Hey, this player's up. I need to hang, ba hang back. Mm -hmm. Eli, that, that brings us right into, you, you mentioned Benitez a little bit. Let's get into his performance uh, a little further and dig into that. So, there were a couple of instances, specifically off set pieces, um, where the back post seemed to be left wide open on Benitez's side. Um, there was one particular, I think it was the second one. Um, Dane makes a great save on it, but it just seems like Benitez sort of just drifts into the middle of the box and uh, and Moyer is right there uh, on, the, on the back post, wide open. And that happened multiple occasions. But then Benitez comes up and he ends up getting the winner. So what, what do you make of Alan Benitez's sort of full performance from both a defensive and an attacking, um, you know, spot tonight? And uh, actually, Adrian Heath did comment on this pretty extensively in the press conference, and I'll get to that. But before I mention what he, what he said, I want to get your guys' input on it. Yeah, I, I think when this, this plays into to what I see Dave Stevens asked in the, in the comments there about kind of the, the defensive abilities of the fullbacks, um, because... It was up until the the Benitez goal, you know, I think a performance that a lot of folks would feel pretty comfortable criticizing. Um, and, and I was talking during the game with with um, with Jacob Schneider, Soda Soccer's own, and and we were kind of trying to figure out what felt off about Benitez's performance. Was it, you know, him individually? Was it the system and kind of him getting used to the system? And and the conclusion that I think I came to that I think is still very debatable. Um, and so you guys are very welcome to disagree with this. But what I noticed tonight that was, seemed new to me was Minnesota United defending in a back three. Um, it's been a back four very consistently for a very long time. But what I noticed this time was that the strong side fullback, um, so whatever side the ball was coming down, that fullback was being given clearance to play out really wide and be really aggressive in going to the ball. And then what that meant was that the weak side fullback who was on the far side of the field was actually tucking in and playing as a third center back. Um, and that was something that Benitez was tasked with a lot because Shaq Moore was aggressive on Nashville's right, Minnesota United's left. Um, you know, they attacked that side very regularly. So Benitez was very often the weak side, basically center back in that back three. Now, that didn't look very comfortable to him. You know, he looked like he was constantly kind of checking his position of, you know, am I playing narrow enough? And that leaves a lot of space behind, which I'm sure as a fullback is just anxiety inducing to not know what's behind your back shoulder. And that requires you to have your head on a swivel. It requires you to have you know, the the flexibility, mobility to be able to swing your hips really fast to adjust to a threat coming down on your weak side, on your backside, and close that down. And and that's where Benitez seemed to struggle. And so I I don't think we can place a lot of blame 
on Benitez and say, you know, oh, he played terribly defensively. You know, I think it I think it might be the system in that aspect. And I don't quite know if that was an adjustment specific to Nashville, if that's something that Heath is trying to implement down the stretch here, if that's something he wants to do specifically with Benitez. Um, but, you know, just like the weak side fullback was a strength in the attack, it was also kind of the weak spot in defense here. Um, so I'm curious if, if you, either of you all saw anything along those lines. Uh, but that was kind of my observation was that it was just sort of an, an awkward setup that that put the weak side fullback under some pressure there. And that happened to be Benitez a lot more than Kamar Lawrence tonight. MJ, I'll, I'll let you give your input and then I'll, I'll jump in. Certainly great observation on the back three and the, the shift of the back three when, especially when right fullback was up. I would say that when it looked like it was working for the loons was when Robin Lude would drop back and be that left fullback or kind of in that area helping protect the width that Benitez was worried about. And that gets to my point earlier about Lude looking good on defense. Does this, I guess you sort of alluded to it, Eli, when you said you didn't know if this is specific to Nashville or something they, they would be doing moving forward. Is this scalable? Is this kind of defensive shift? If, if this is sort of the, if let's just, hypothetically say that this is sort of a, a new defensive mentality that Adrian Heath is sort of implementing with this team, that they are going to sort of make this shift. And with this attacking ability of these fullbacks, sort of get ever, whoever that weak side fullback is or the strong side fullback, um, you know, full reign to get forward. And then they'll just defend with the back three to make up for it. Is that scalable? A. And B, does a guy like Jonathan Gonzalez, who seems to be more of a traditional defensive-minded six, at least from what we've heard, um, does that help at all, being that you have a guy who can actually drop into defense? Because it seems like they just this whole season they're playing with a bunch of eights at defensive midfield. Guys who all are blessed, God love them, with ability to get forward in the attack, and that's all they want to do. But you got to have, in Adrian Heath's system, a defensive-minded defensive midfielder in there. So, I guess, two-part question. A, is this scalable? B, does the insertion of a guy like Jonathan Gonzalez make it more digestible? I, two I think, very weird hypotheticals, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I think the answer to, to both of those is, you know, yes with an asterisk. Um, I, I like, you know, I, I like the, the, the point about Robin Lud being uh, a really good defensive presence. He put in a performance tonight that was the closest to an Ozzy Alonso performance I've seen from anyone on Minnesota United this year mm. in terms of dropping back both in possession to receive the ball and dropping back between the center backs. Kirvin Ariaga did it too, um, and and I, I'll want to talk about their dynamic, but I'll, I'll save that for later on. Um, but I think you know whether that's Robin Lud playing in that role, whether it's Gonzalez or Ariaga, Rosales, whoever it is there, you know, dropping back between the center backs is just is vital to any team success, Minnesota United especially, because we all know how Ozzy Alonso helped this team when he was playing in that role. Um, so I think that helps automatically. I, I do think the approach is scalable. However, it does kind of depend on opponent because every every team in this league is, you know, more or less going to have a favorite side that they want to attack, right? You know, that might be uh, in a case like Nashville that, you know, they have Shaq Moore who wants to get down there. Um, it might be they, you know, they might decide that on a matchup basis if they might say, oh, you know what, we want to go after Kamar Lawrence or we want to try to go after Benitez. Um, so, you know, that's going to put pressure on just the other fullback in that instance. And I, I think if it's going to be a team that's going to attack down Minnesota United's left like Nashville did tonight, 
Um, that's going to require Boggy to have defensive responsibilities, which I don't think is something we've really seen a whole lot. Um, you know, even even tonight, you know, the, the natural adjustment to make there would be to tell him, hey, you're responsible for anybody who comes charging down that weak side flank that Benitez doesn't see, right? Like him having that defensive assignment would be kind of the natural fix here. It's not as simple as that, right? But, you know, that's kind of the tweak there. So it, it might be scalable if Bongi can do that. I, I think, you know, Fragapane can certainly do that. We saw him do that tonight pitching and Robin Lode can do that. We saw him pitching and we'll see what Mender Garcia can do. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's scalable in that sense. Also, just time helps with this system. You know, Benitez will feel more comfortable with where he needs to be and who he needs to be monitoring. Um, I'd, I'd be curious if this, you know, continues to play out. What happens if Kamar Lawrence is the weak side fullback put in this spot? How does he handle it? Um, so, you know, I, I think there's there's reason to like this idea, um, you know, of, of packing the box. Um, but also, you know, improvements that need to happen that these eight weeks will be really crucial for building the defensive side and not just figuring out who the attackers will be. Eli, we all know your opinion of how a back three could work for Minnesota United is not at all biased. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I didn't by by any means take a screenshot when I saw the back three to just, you know, hang up on my wall and, you know, just look at <laughs> and think happy thoughts about <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, so in the postgame presser, Adrian Heath, I asked about Benitez's defensive positioning specifically, uh, about how there seemed to be a couple of uh, uh, free headers on the back post on Benitez's side. And Heath actually said he thought Benitez's defensive positioning tonight was better than it was against Colorado. And he basically alluded to the fact that he had a long conversation with Benitez after the Colorado match about his defensive positioning and what needed to be different, what what he wanted to see from him. And he thought that was better tonight. Um, obviously, the, the two near goals loom large and are, are very front of mind for a lot of uh, Minnesota United faithful out there. Um, and Benitez got a lot of the blame for that. I saw a lot of, uh, you know, calling for him to be subbed off at halftime and, and things like that. Um, MJ, what, what did you think while you were watching the match of Benitez's performance and given sort of the context of the conversation and, and other things, does that, does that change the opinion at all? I do think it's, it's shaky because going back to what Eli was saying about, and you as well about having center midfielders with clear roles with Ozzy Alonzo, we knew he was going to be the six yep. and sure. Greg would find himself back there a few times, but definitely a clear role. Now that it's central midfield by committee and who doesn't have yellow cards and who's healthy, it is more of the sense of are they changing who the six is based on our opponent? Are they changing it just situationally of like, hey, be fluid. Someone always has to be back there. And then that doesn't always work. So I would like to see the coaching staff and maybe they've tried this simplifying it. where just like, hey, Lute, you're you're the six this week. You have to be the six. And that doesn't mean you never get to go forward. That just means like more often than not, you're hanging back. And on the Jonathan Gonzalez piece, I'm sorry, I'm not answering your question at all. I just, the, it's okay. if, if he's going to be the six, I agree with the asterisk, but for different reasons. Kervin Ariaga was slated to be a natural six for this team. Uh, Greg Goosh was initially marketed as a, we have our six. Um, this coaching staff and the scouting staff 
have not really proven to me, other than a known quantity in Ozzy Alonso, they know what a six is or what it looks like before they come to Minnesota United. So since I haven't watched a lot of Jonathan Gonzalez, any of Jonathan Gonzalez's games in Liga Mekis, I can't say, but I would say wait and see. All right. Well, we will get back into the conversation in, I don't know, about a minute or so. But first, got to shout out our good friends over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. You can see my face and half of Eli's there. Sorry, Eli. Uh, you're cut off a little bit. And, and my uh, face of me. And yeah, it's completely blocking. Uh, I wonder if I can move this around at all. Hold on. No no no, 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 no. No, no, no. Eli, you're going to ventilate this for me. Uh, 801 South Ninth Street, Minneapolis is where you can find our friends over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. Um, basically, the, the combination of the two, or now the three best things you could ever want in life. Uh, indoor soccer facility where you can play in rain or shine or 100 degrees or negative 100 degrees. Doesn't matter. They have pickup going on at Ninth Street. Um, you can rent out that field time for your, your team, if you're a coach, for your party or a group outing, whatever it is. Uh, and then on the other side of the wall there, they have a coffee shop, and they are now serving beer at Ninth Street as well. The best just got better. Coffee, soccer, and beer. What else could you want? Uh, so hit them up. NinthStreetMPLS.com. You can see it spelled out right there. N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S.com. That's also the handle. You can find them at Twitter and Instagram, at NinthStreetMPLS. Uh, Derek Swanson and the people at Ninth Street are huge, huge supporters of the Minnesota soccer community, uh, sponsoring local teams like Minneapolis City. They had a pop-up at all the Minnesota Aurora home matches as well. Uh, so if you want to support somebody who's trying to support the Twin City soccer community, definitely um, go check out our friends over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. You will not regret that decision. It is a very, very fun place to go hang out. If you're just Whether you're a soccer player, a soccer fan, both, doesn't matter. If you enjoy soccer in any form, you're going to enjoy Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. So hit them up. 801 South Ninth Street in Minneapolis is where you can find them. Or you can uh, check them out online. NinthStreetMPLS.com. All right. There's there's MJ again. MJ, how you doing? Um, so uh, there was Ninth Street that- logo looks way better than my face. I'm just saying. You can just leave that up <laughs> the whole post moons. Oh, we're going to we're gonna have you Vanna White the next one, MJ. Don't worry. Okay. Um, I want to get into a question from Paul Forrester. Um, this is something that I don't. I, I didn't see too much of, um, so I'm not sure uh, if I can comment too uh, too intelligently on this. So I wonder if you guys can help me out. Uh, it says, just tuning in, not sure if you covered it yet, but you, do you guys think anything happens retroactively with Boxy for the Sapong incident? Um, I didn't see this. Did either of you? Actually, no. Sorry. Uh, I saw the yeah, ref be very... Last hope. Yeah, I, I didn't see a ton, to be honest. Um, you know, it, it seemed like um, you know, Boxy was being Boxy and, and you know, messing with Sapong a little bit, um, you know, on I, I think it was a, a set piece of some variety. Um, and then, you know, the clip that I saw that caught my attention was um, Sapong, you know, having words with Boxy after and, and grabbing him by like the ear or the neck or, or you know, having a hold there um, that, you know, if if I were guessing, that's what would interest the disco. Um, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, to be honest, you know, I think the the lack of any prolonged VAR look in game is kind of an indicator that this isn't really something that the committee would want to go look at. Um, but, you know, they, they do as they wish. Um, we can only, you know, guess at, at what might be going on in their heads. Yeah, 
Uh, thank you for the explanation there, Eli. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, um, best MJ, MJ, what are your what are your thoughts? You know that that kind of brings up the uh, the officiating uh, angle to this, and I, I saw some uh, some harsh criticism on the Twitter machine of tonight's ref. Um, I definitely thought that there were that the, the the card distribution and the foul distribution was very very interesting and maybe a little bit inconsistent. It seemed like he let the game get away from him, and then he sort of maybe tried to overcorrect by giving everybody a yellow card. Uh, MJ, what are your what are your thoughts on the uh, the officiating tonight? I I just would say that it was very inconsistent until it was consistently just giving yellow cards to everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, there were times where calls would go against the loons and I didn't like it when I saw it live, but I, when I saw it on the replay, for example, the one for one, when uh, Mukhtar collided with Reynoso and then Fragapane, you know, had the revenge tackle on, on Mukhtar. Um, I was screaming at like, call the first one. And then I noticed that one Reynoso didn't get ball. Reynoso was late challenging Mukhtar and basically just ran into Mukhtar's shoulder. So that's not going to be a call in, in the loon's favor. And then I watched Fragapane. I was like, yeah, that's, that's a yellow card. Um, so I thought that was actually a good call. I also thought the time that uh, we had an attacking chance where Reynoso ended up, I believe, nutmegging uh, yep. uh, I, I don't man, know who it was. Or no, I it was Walker Zimmerman. Well. He he, no, he made Walker Zimmerman, <laughs> Zimmerman and, but like the ref played advantage, and I was just like, "You haven't been playing advantage when the loons have had a foul against them and attacking chances all night, and now you choose to to play advantage." No complaints. Glad he did it, but it was just again very inconsistent. And then again, I agree with you, Jeremy, that when push came to shove and he starts yellow carding everything, it's basically overcompensation because he did lose control of the game. Eli, any specific opinions? Uh, not not particularly. Um, you know, I, I did think that we were in for a, a special kind of ironic treat when the FS1 broadcast opened the referee discussion with talk of how few yellow cards um, he had historically given out and then proceeded to follow that with a yellow card feast. Um, that was that was my only real, real takeaway there. Um, you know, I, I think I think Fragapane towed the line on a second yellow. He probably came about as as close to that as you can realistically go. Um, but other other than that, not not much to add. Uh, I think I think MJ summed it up well there. We can't forget to talk about the seven D chess that Adrian Heath was playing, uh, <laughs> giving giving Walker Zimmerman just enough minutes in Wednesday's All Star game to make him fatigued and cause him to have that lazy clearance that led to uh, Minnesota United's right. first goal. Just uh, you, you gotta love it. Just you know, chess not checkers. You know, when you have the opportunity to coach two players that you're playing against three days later, you, know, you just get you gotta do what you gotta do, and uh, I respect that. This is the closest you're gonna see Adrian Heath admitting that mid game, midweek game performance actually affects whether someone should be subbed in or subbed out in a, in a weekend performance. He will never admit to this explicitly it is only in this subtle all-star weekend that you get yeah. this sort of vibe of like yeah maybe playing a full raw a nine full 90 midweek could affect someone's performance the next weekend 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was there was that thought, you know, we, we got to about the 65th, 70th minute, and we hadn't seen any subs from Minnesota United, and Stu Holden was even saying on the broadcast, like, you know, like, like some tired legs out there for the loons, and that's kind of been a, a, a common theme. But you do see the right button pushed when he brings in Rosales and just a few minutes later leads to the goal. So while we may not have been, you know, 100% on board with the timing, um, he, he made the right substitution at the time and uh, obviously led to the led to the goal. So I guess Heath giveth and Heath taketh away uh, with the, with the second half substitutions. I would like to see us make substitutions separate from tactical decisions and changes and also tactical second half tactical changes separate from substitutions. But having coached other sports where you can sub people on the fly, <laughs> it is very hard in soccer to talk to players while the game's going on. Right. It's very hard to make those tactical shifts. Um, this is in baseball where Heath is, you know, giving s signals to players <laughs> to switch formations or to switch ideas of how they're going to defend or how they're going to attack. So while I see other teams do it and I see, I see other teams do it and I see other teams uh make tactical decisions separate from substitutions. I understand that it's really easy. You have a new player coming in and you can combine the two and it worked tonight. Eli, what, what are your thoughts on sort of the formation shift in the second half to the four, three, three, the timing of it, you know, all of that. Yeah, I, I think it, it certainly worked um, personnel wise. And I think that's one of the, the assets that this, this team has, you know, when we talk about um, the depth, there's also flexibility in terms of formation um, that, you know, Heath can play a lot or play around a lot with personnel in terms of what he wants this team to look like. Um, and including Robin Ludd being able to, you know, play anywhere that, that isn't the back line. And, and frankly, at this point, you know, we shouldn't rule out seeing him there at some point. He's the new Hassani Dotson in that sense. Um, and, and so, you know, I think um, we saw tonight, you know, that that worked out in favor of this team. Uh, Rosales has been excellent coming off the bench all year uh, at filling that, you know, kind of impacts a midfielder role. And, and he played a role in the, in the goal as well. Um, you know, I think it was, it was also important to see um, Ariaga continue to be involved in the game down the stretch, um, you know, to see Bongi be a contributing factor. You know, I think the longevity of some of those performances was just as important uh, as, as the substitutions tonight, which I'm sure, you know, makes agent Heath very happy because he isn't a coach who likes to tinker too much with his team as the, as the clock ticks closer to 90 guys, we're going to stick around for maybe 10 or 15 more minutes. We're uh, getting close to midnight here. If you have any last minute questions or comments for us to respond to, go ahead and drop them in the chat. We really appreciate all the interaction and all the viewership tonight. It has been awesome. Um, but as we look ahead here, guys, so you get Austin next weekend, you're back at home, back at Allianz field. Um, you know, we, uh, we had a comment earlier about how, you know, Austin seems to be within striking distance. Um, and this, this match coming up is, you know, could be a big six pointer for not only catching Dallas in fourth, but or catching Dallas in third, excuse me, but maybe even having an opportunity to reach Austin there in the second spot. Um, but this is an Austin team that has been very, very up and down as of late. 
Um, they get that big comeback win last night. Sebastian Jerusi scoring in stoppage time. Obviously, he's the odds-on MVP front runner right now. Um, you know, what are what are what does Minnesota United have to do to keep this going against you know what is proven to be a, a very much improved, to say the least, Austin team? Obviously, one of the class teams of the Western Conference. Eli. Yeah, I, I think contained Drusi is is you know the obvious one, um, and and that will be a test of this defensive setup. Um, you know, ho- however, this is going to play out. Um, you know, I, I also think, it, well, for one, if the Loons are going to be able to catch Austin, it, they need to win in that game. You know, if mm-hmm. because it, it, they're down ten points right now with nine games to go, uh, which is a, a lot of ground to make up, but that becomes a lot more doable. If you win and it's seven points, it becomes impossible if you lose and it's 13, right? And, and a draw really, you know, just doesn't get it. You know, that that doesn't help at that stage. You need to be making up ground every week. Um, so a, a win needs to happen. Um, you know, I think in, in terms of the attack, this might be a situation where it actually is helpful to have a guy like Garcia uh, coming in and factoring into this game, whether that's starting, whether that's off the bench and being an unknown because uh, we're we're at the point in the season where every team in this league knows what every other team in this league is trying to do, right? If you're Minnesota United, you know that you know with Austin, you know Drusy's the guy you got to watch out for. What Austin doesn't know is what to expect from Garcia and how he's going to fit in there. They also don't know what to expect from you know Gonzalez either if if he's going to play a role. Um, so this is where Adrian Heath, you know, through the the fate of the transfer market, being able to still hold a couple cards close to his chest at this stage um, might be a real asset. That he can he can mix that in there, um, and again we talk about this depth and flexibility. It's hard to plan for if if I'm Austin FC's scouting team, you know I'm I'm looking at a guy like Robin Ludd, and you know having to prepare a lot of guys on the field to face him in some capacity because you just don't know where he's going to end up playing. Uh, you don't know how this team's going to be organized, and you know we're seeing some even some defensive twists be thrown in at this stage of things. So some of that unpredictability, if it can be effective, um, could could be a, a really key element of of a game plan to victory against Austin. MJ, we've seen uh, some marquee wins for Minnesota this year, um, you know, far more than we've seen maybe in, in years past, some real statements made, um, you know, in addition to the impact on the standings, Saturday's game is obviously important from just a measuring stick standpoint and proving that you can compete with one of those top teams in the West and that if it comes down to that one game playoff scenario, you are an absolute threat to knock a team off in advance. Um, what, what are you looking for as somebody who, you know, wants to see Minnesota United obviously be talked about in that upper echelon of the Western conference? Um, you know, what a, a good performance in a draw would that, would that do, or do you think they need to come out and, and, and get three points to sort of prove that point on Saturday? You're playing a team that is, you know, higher on the table. But as Eli said, if we want to catch them, we we have to win. So, you know, I want to see us win. It Here's the thing. As well as uh, Austin is playing so early in their MLS existence, they just beat a bottom-of-the-table Sporting Kansas City team 4-3 to three at home. Yep. You know, they only won by one goal. They allowed three goals. I After hope. One and a half. Yeah. And I I hope that the coaching staff is watching that game and learning what Sporting Kansas City did. I think in addition to uh, Juicy as Eli, definitely someone that we need to contain. Also need to 
Alex Ring, and Maxi Ruti likes to score goals. So, you know, Alex Ring is going to cause a lot of problems, and whoever we have playing in that center midfield double uh, dual pivot role for Minnesota United, they need to be aware of both of those players because those players are going to attack that space. All right. So the uh, obvious answer to this question is Dane St. Clair. So I'm going to remove him from contention for this. Give me your guy. Give me your man of the match tonight. Sands DSC. This is difficult, Jeremy. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to say Robin Lud. Um, just because I think he's he's the player who impressed me the most role wise um, with those defensive contributions, and and is maybe the player who you know moving forward from this game I'm the most optimistic about what he could look like in that role. Um, again, like I said earlier, I think he did the best Ozzy Alonso impression that anyone has done this season tonight, mm-hmm. uh, and that intrigues me going forward. Uh, I've been generally intrigued by him playing in the central midfield role, uh, but I think tonight really sealed that. I think my second choice would be Fragapane, um, just because you know he's continued to produce. Um, but I'll be I'll be kind of kind of quirky and hipster and say Robin Lud. MJ, uh, I'm gonna go. So my first choice is maybe obvious, and that's Reynoso. I thought his contributions on the it, he won't get an assist for. I don't think he gets a hockey assist for the for our our second goal, but. So that's a question because John Strong said two assists for Reynoso tonight. I don't know if he did that knowing some sort of weird hockey assist rule that MLS is implemented or if Fox Sports is going by their own statistical model. Who knows? Uh, but no, I, I was gonna wonder, I was wondering about that because like, wait, no, it's definitely Rosales who got the assist on the second goal. Does Ray get credit? I don't think he does. Um, but he deserves credit for just dribbling like a madman and causing them difficulties and Absolutely. definitely springing that, that counterattack for our second goal. And then my second is actually the uh, bossy uh, um, yeah. just defensively tonight really impressed me uh, as he's done previous times this year. But again, it's that defensive consistency that we're looking for. And so if we can have more of this Debassi, and less the getting lost with what's around him um, on a multiplayer attack, Debassi, um, I'm liking it. I'm going to go, he didn't get on the stat sheet tonight, but I'm going to go Bongi. His work rate tonight was excellent, I thought. And he's he showed, if he can just add one element to his game, changing direction, then that will just exponentially increase the impact that he can have. Um, He is so good north-south. He is so good pushing the pace. He is so good um, sort of making things happen and advancing the ball into that attacking third and getting into those straight-line situations. But when it comes time to change direction to evade a defender, he just doesn't seem to have that yet. Um, He doesn't seem to have that, that ability to sort of move and shift and change on a dime right now. Hopefully that's something he can add to his game because I think that would absolutely take him next level and, you know, continue to increase and enhance that impact that he's had. But I thought from a straight work rate standpoint and the impact that he had and just the the work he did on the ball and and in the attack overall, 
I thought Bongi was excellent tonight. He did everything short of score a goal, and he was a uh, he was a Joe Willis boot away from from getting one. So um, I thought he uh, just continues his his great run of form over this whole great Minnesota United run. In, in on the the Bongi note, um, you know, I, I talked earlier about how we've seen him develop, um, but what, what really impressed me tonight with him, and I, I think he's a, a really fun choice, Jeremy, um, was his holdup play. That there was a, a sequence, and I, I can't remember. It might have been that shot that hit the bar in the first half. Maybe it was the first goal. I know I'm I'm, I'm forgetting, but it was a long ball to him. That you know, instead of you know, I feel like his his natural instinct is to take the ball and and dribble, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and that's his skill set, right? That makes sense. But what he did here was actually he held it up and held off a defender. It might have even been Walker Zimmerman, who you know yep. has a size advantage on Bongi um, and should win that matchup. You know, nine times out of ten. But Bongi held up the ball and laid it off to somebody else. Um, I, I I wish I remembered more specifics of that sequence. But in the moment, that really impressed me. And, and you know, that's something that in April Bongi wouldn't do. And mm. so you know, that kind of development um, is is really encouraging. That he's gone from being kind of a just you know guy of intrigue who you want to see get a run out on the wing every once in a while to you know a legitimate piece of this offense um who you know like mj said is is getting looks from guys um you know is is really contributing here um and you know doing more than just dribbling around um you know i I, i've really enjoyed seeing that kind of integration into the offense from him yeah it's been it's been awesome and he's he's really his continued evolution has been awesome to just watch this season. Obviously, he's gotten those those couple goals to get himself off that schneid, and um, he's just continuing to make that impact. So that's been that's been impressive. All right, we got one more uh, sponsor shout out, and MJ, I promised you to get the Vanna White treatment on this one. So here we are. Uh, oh. Pence Holmes, Nate Pence, our boy, um, does great work supporting the Minnesota soccer community. Um, he, you know, he, he sponsored Minnesota Aurora, Minneapolis city, our friends over at equal time soccer, who do a great job covering the women's game across the state. And of course us here at soda soccer and the post loons post game show. Um, Nate is not only ingrained in the Minnesota soccer community and interested in supporting them. He's interested in helping you sell your home for top dollar and get a new home at a rate that will not break your bank. Nate knows this market. He has the team and the technology to help you get into your dream home, sell your current home at top dollar, do both, whichever you're doing, buying, selling, whether you're doing both, it's a very, very stressful process. And nobody can help you take all the stress out of that process. But Nate and his team at Pence Homes do an excellent job of helping relieve as much of that stress as humanly possible. So if you want uh, somebody who knows the market, who knows what they're doing, who has the team and the technology to get the job done and help you you know, accomplish that goal you're looking for, whatever it is when it comes to getting into that new home, make sure that you hit up Nate um, and you can go to their website to do that, pencehomes.com. You can see that, see that at the bottom, P-E-N-T-Z homes.com, or you can email Nate directly. You see his name, Nate, N-A-T-E, at pencehomes.com. If you're buying or selling or both in St. Paul or Minneapolis, you got to hit up our friends over at Pence Homes. Pencehomes.com. Excellent job there, MJ. Eli, just getting and sliding in Chris Collinsworth style. NFL season is upon us and Eli doing his best Chris Collinsworth. So I love that. Um, There was one more question I want to ask you guys before we get out of here. I've been at this for an hour and four minutes. It is officially after the stroke of midnight. It's August 15th. Um, what's the one thing that we're still looking for from Minnesota United to assure us that 
they can be a team that takes that next step this season. They've been on a great run. They've got some great road wins. You know, they're sitting up near the top of the West, just one point off third right now um, in mid-August, which everybody would have taken 100 times out of 100 if we asked this question in February. But what's sort of that one thing that that is is missing or that one thing that they need to either add to their repertoire or just sure up and tighten up to, you know, kind of take that next step and maybe advance further into the playoffs? I think it's uh, it's defensive comfort um, and comfort with, you know, the system and the personnel. Um, you know, if that's going to be Benitez, great. If it's, you know, I, I would assume that's the, the route it's going to go. Um, you know, again, you know, we, we talked kind of at length about um, how, how that fit looked tonight. And, and there's still time to iron that out. But if this team's going to succeed in the playoffs, you know, they're, they're can't, you, you can't be giving up, you know, two, two and a half expected goals per game. Um, you know, that model exists for a reason. And that's because it evens out in the long run that you can steal games like this, which is so important and something that Dane St. Clair, like we said, obviously helps with. Um, but, you know, if you want your, your best shot at winning in a one game setting, it would be to, you know, keep things as, as calm and locked down as possible on the defensive end. When we think about this team's playoff run, that was 2020, um, both with the MLS's back tournament and then, you know, in the actual playoffs uh, that fall, that that team was a fantastic defensive team. I feel like I talk about them all the time, but it really was, you know, defensive masterclasses over and over again. Um, reclaiming some of that magic, I think, is very possible with this personnel group. You know, I think it's, you know, probably the same or, or you know, maybe even a little improved personnel-wise um, from, from 2020. It's about locking it down and figuring out what that game plan is going to be. If it's going to be this back three with the fullbacks, um, you know, switching in and out, you know, I think, again, that's a system that can work. Uh, who the six dropping in is going to be, that has to be ironed out and just, you know, being consistent so that it's not last ditch defending. That's always going to happen at a certain point in this sport because attackers create chaos, but, you know, removing the less Dane St. Clair can do, obviously the better. And, and that, you know, that comes from, from feeling comfortable there. Um, so that guys are just executing the defensive game plan. MJ. I have to completely agree with Eli. I will use different nouns for variety. Um, but instead of defensive comfort, I will say defensive discipline and consistency. And everything that Eli just said about who's going to be our six, and then having that six be that lockdown defensive midfielder and helping the back four, um, having our whoever our eight is be the, part of that back six when needed to be, and then just improve on whether it's win, lose, draw, whatever the result is, I know we like to focus on results here, but uh, there's something about process and method and how you play the game. And whether we win, whether we lose, there's about five times every game where I'm just like, that should never happen defensively. That attack should not be that easy to um, obtain whether that's a letting up a, a goal in the in the first you know 12 seconds or whatever it just shouldn't be that easy um or tonight where there were near misses right where there were like oh Sapon got into into some dangerous spots Mukhtar gets into some dangerous spots and we don't have anybody marking them no one's between them and the net people are playing catch up we can't consistently see breakdowns in defense like that I mean, you, we've seen four goal 
you know, four goals conceded in each of the last two matches before this one. So I think, you know, defensively, um, whether that's shoring up the defensive midfield with a guy like Jonathan Gonzalez or just finding a way to tighten things up along the back line, finding a new way to approach your defense to sure things up more along the back line. I think you guys are both right. It's it's that defensive side of the ball that that Minnesota United needs to sure up because they, they have the attack down. You know, they have Luis Samaria, Franco Fragapani, Mano Reynoso, Bangi Longwani. Like they 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 finally have those attacking pieces clicking on all cylinders. And how how many times in 2019, 2020, even last year, like, oh man, if only this attack was clicking, then we'd finally, we'd finally have everything clicking. And suddenly here we are where this team is scoring goals at the wazoo, but suddenly they can't keep the ball out of their own net. Tonight was a different story because Dane Sinclair stood on his head, but the the defensive lapses have been there, MJ. To your to your point, you know, if you look at goals conceded across the entire season, doesn't look that bad. They're probably in the top half of the league still, but the eye test and specifically these last couple of weeks have shown us that you know something needs to be tightened up along that defense. Um, and I think it's at both levels. I think it's at the central midfield level. I also think it's along the back line. Um, and hopefully tonight is sort of a, a step in the right direction and we continue to see that sure up, whether it's Benitez or DJ Taylor. Personally, I think DJ Taylor brings you a little bit more defensive quality um, than a guy like Alan Benitez, but we know how much Adrian Heath really values that attacking aspect of the fullbacks too. Um, so that's something to, to keep an eye on too. But yeah, I agree with you both. I think you have to sure up this this defensive, uh, you know, the defensive side of the ball because the way Minnesota, we saw it tonight, 37% possession. If you're going to be a team that concedes possession, that sits back, sits back, and then hits counters, you got to defend well. <laughs> that's that's step one to that whole process is you have to lock down defensively in order to give yourself the opportunity to counter effectively. Um, and so that's uh, obviously something that that we need to see a little bit better of from a from a, just a consistency standpoint from Minnesota moving forward. All right, as we mentioned, mid, the midweek off, but then we get Saturday. 7 p.m. kickoff against Austin, back at Allianz Field. Um, a little programming notes. I'm going to be back in the press box at Allianz for the first time since. So, guys, this will be my first time in the Minnesota United press box with fans in attendance. <laughs> I was in the press box for 2020 when there was no fans, uh, which is actually kind of cool, Getting one of the being one of the only people to watch live sports in 2020. Uh, but I was, you know, I've been doing the post game show from my basement, did it in my basement last year, did it in my basement for the first part of this year. But, uh, I finally was able to, uh, talk to the PR team over at Minnesota United, great people over there. And they're going to make sure we get set up to do the post game show, uh, in the press box. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So that's starting on Saturday for home games through the rest of the season. So pretty stoked about that. Uh, Eli, MJ standing invite whenever you guys want to join me on post loons. Always happy to have you. Um, I'll open up the floor before we get out of here. Final thoughts. I'm just, just excited to see. Oh, go ahead, MJ. Go ahead. On the defensive side of things, one thing that I really liked about today is that we gave up a lot of set pieces, corner kicks, free kicks to Nashville. And in general, we don't look good when they recycle the ball, especially when they recycle the ball to the to the weak side. But in general, that initial defense on that initial free kick, corner kick, has been much improved recently, and especially this game. Eli? 
Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. Um, I think, you know, my biggest takeaway from just right now that we've that we've talked about tonight is, you know, how much depth and how many options there are for this team. Um, so I'm just excited for all the the debate there will get to be over the next uh, eight games here over, you know, who should be in, who should be out and, and all of that fun business. Um, and, and also I'm excited for inevitably in about four or five weeks here that we learn that Jeremy has worked his way, not just from broadcasting from the press box uh, to probably broadcasting pitch side or something like that, um, you know, from the locker room. You know, I'll, my standing invite will be revoked and it'll be Dane St. Clair hopping on every week, um, you know, something something like that. So I'm just I'm enjoying this while I can before I'm replaced by somebody far more important. Nobody more important than you, Eli Hoff. Don't don't underestimate your importance to this uh, this product here. Uh, you too, Matthew Johnson. Really appreciate you, MJ, Eli. Thank you guys so much. Let's all go to bed, get some sleep. And uh, <laughs> what's with the hammer there, MJ? I love it. I love it. That's a good way to end the end the show. Hammer down, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota United hammering down a 2-1 win on the road against Nashville. Their sixth road win of the season. That's an MLS club record. They're back at home. Big one from a measuring stick standpoint and from a standing standpoint against Austin on Saturday. Post Loons will be live from the Allianz Field press box. At least one half of it will be from the Allianz Field press box. Um, so enjoy that and uh, enjoy your week, guys. We'll catch you on Saturday. Have a good one.